I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hey, Owl Pellets, welcome to a special edition of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers. We are here with two of the Grand Challenge Ambassadors. Now, is that a cool title or what? Well, this they are cool. And so this has been part of a USDA uh, grant that the Owl Pellets crew was part of. And I encourage, we're going to talk about a lot, to visit teachgrandchallenges.com. There is a lot of really cool resources on there. And to talk a little bit about those resources, we've got Carly Chappelle and Alicia Neal here. So Carly, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, so I am coming in from New Jersey. I teach at the Salem County Vocational High School. And I'm one of a few different ag teachers here. My focus is our animal science, food science, and sustainable food systems. And I also teach environmental science and yoga. Um, and I've been working several years and I'm excited to share what I created with you. That is so cool. You got quite a list of things you teach there that I could talk to you all day about that really cool stuff. So thanks for being with us. Alicia, tell us a little bit about you. Um, my name is Alicia Neal. I am a 13 year into ag teaching here in Harriman, Utah. Um, I'm at the newest high school out here at Mountain Ridge High School, which is in a suburban and urban area. And I teach um, animal science one and then animal science two, which is an advanced animal science, floriculture and biology agriculture. It just kind of struck me here. That's so cool. We've got two great teachers here from New Jersey to Utah. We've got Christopher Estep on the on the grant project with us from Arkansas. And this other guy, Ritalik, I think how you say his name, Mike, Michael, was that it? Mike, Mike Ritalik from, from Iowa is also here with us as well. So it's really cool. We got the whole, the whole country covered. So Carly, we'll get started with you. You focused on nutrient loss in food, had some great stuff out there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, why you picked this topic and what you, what you developed for other ag teachers to be using? Sure. I picked this topic because it's really interesting to me. I think nutrition is really nuanced and we know some about it, but we don't know a lot about it. And uh, it's not necessarily the first thing we cover. I think like when I think agriculture, I don't necessarily think nutrition, but I think it's relevant to everyone, no matter if they're in production or in gardening or in anything, everyone eats, right? And so nutrition is relevant to all of us. And um, I also wanted to um, approach something from a systems perspective and try to keep it pretty broad because I think that like in any grand challenge, the problems are complex and I wanted to um, choose something that was both like interest, hopefully interesting to everyone and relevant to all our lives um, and also could go in many different directions based on what people's interests are and what um, is actually going on in their communities because it's different for everyone. So I really appreciated your thoughts around um... Uh, a systems approach. And so when you're, when you're talking about food and food systems and you're trying to teach this to students and, and even when you developed uh, this uh, project uh, around the grand challenges, 
tell us a little bit about your thinking and how you capture and and kind of think through the systems process with um with with this curriculum or anything in your classroom uh, I think when our focus on one thing and we get really professional in one place that can be a really beautiful thing right to get like get our PhD in like one piece of plant science, which is incredible. And then we have a ton to share. And also um, when it comes to something that applies to everyone like nutrition, and also when I'm teaching a bunch of students that might have, that do have various interests, I think it is not only um, relevant to them because they have various interests. And, and also I would say the most responsible thing to do is to just acknowledge the complexity of a, of a giant system um, so that we not only can take one focus and really dive into that direction and also at the same time acknowledge that there's other pieces of the whole path, right? From like how we choose what to grow to how it's prepared and consumed and store, like there's so many pieces of that that contribute. So I think one, it's a responsible thing to do. And two, it creates a really good conversation in classes, right? So, cause it's not just a black and white answer. You can have students, oh, what about this? What about that? So it's okay for in the end to not have like, a, this is the, this is the one, right? Which I think is our job, right? As ag teachers is to get people thinking and talking about all the different pieces. Um, and and that's a really rich um, education and rich way of thinking critically and, and, and like looking at specific situations and specific foods, right? So we're not just taking a blanket statement across the board, but saying, oh, this is what it's like for blueberries, and this is what it's like for corn, and this is what it's like for chickens and eggs, and this is what it's like for mushrooms. Like there's so many different um, ways that nature works and we can't just like have, a, you know, one, one statement that covers everything. Um, so that's why I wanted to go from a broader systems perspective. Um, sustainable food systems. And I just, um, when I started learning that way, I think things became much more alive for, for me. Um, I didn't, when I was just given like, you know, one, one path with, um, with one answer. So um, that's why I wanted to make it more relevant to, or that's why I wanted to take that approach um, with my project. And we'll actually also look at your, at your post or your project. You have a little host that guides you through your project. I do. Yes. I have a little mushroom lady, Mrs. Mycelium. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Okay, mushrooms are very in right now. If you haven't noticed, all the kids are like getting into fungus. At least they are in New Jersey um, or in my class. Um, and they're, you know, so, all like- So Carly, Carly I, I have a teenage son and he's in, the, he's in the mushrooms, but they're typically growing in his gym shoes. Is that the same thing? <laughs> yeah, oh. sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you could. Can... They're so fascinating to people, right? They're both like um, scary and disgusting. And also <laughs> nutritious, <laughs> and um, I think that's one of the reasons why people are so into them because they're they they cross range of human emotion and response, <laughs> um, hey. and I'm just culturally in right now. And two, um, mycelium 
it's a complex network, right? And, and they are really, they connect systems. So I thought even from a, um, an ecological perspective, Mrs. Mycelium has all these like connective network um, to, um, like to and from plants, so. Excellent. <laughs> Man, we landed on some passion there. Harley <laughs> lit up when we started talking about uh, <laughs> mushrooms and psyllium. Speaking of lighting up, though, let's talk to Alicia. Let's talk to Lisa. Tell us about your project. This one is awesome as well on federal lands. So I, um, my family owns a ranch in South Central Utah that's surrounded on three sides by federally managed lands. And a couple of years ago, there was a wildfire on um, the top of one of the ridges near some bristlecone pines, which are a really rare and really cool tree. And um, the fire was being fought by um, one federal agency, and then it crossed some invisible line, and they decided not to fight the fire again. <laughs> and I was like, what, what happened? Like, why are we suddenly deciding not to fight the fire? Um, so that kind of sparked my interest in who makes those decisions and how they affect us. And then um, the Bears Ears situation. So the Bears Ears National Monument has been yo-yoed back and forth um, with every presidency for the last eight or nine years. And it's grown and it's shrunk. And what you can do there and what you can't do there changes on the daily. And um, that affects a lot of my students, but a lot of my family as well in what is and what is not allowed on pieces of federal land. Um, so Utah is made up of almost um, 85% of our land is owned or managed by the federal government. And that's something that I think my friends in the Midwest and on the East Coast, they don't, they don't get that. <laughs> um, that such a big chunk of what surrounds us is managed by people who sometimes are very far away from what's actually happening on the ground. Um, so we spent, I spent a lot of time researching just those different aspects and it was a little bit, the challenge for me, sorry, that's my bell. <laughs> Lunch is over, um, but it's my prep, so we're fine. But um, they, for me, I know what side of the fence I, I would put myself on, but trying to see the, the other side, the conservation side, the protection side. Um, I was actually in California um, when one of the changes happened in Bears Ears and their news reported it as a very positive change. And at home in Utah, all the news reports were about our government, like our state government getting ready to file a lawsuit against the federal government to stop those changes. So it, it was an interesting thing to try and see both sides of the story. Um, and like my friend here said, it's it's one of those things to get kids thinking on a bigger picture and a bigger scale about how little things can make a big difference, but also to see both sides of the issue. And it's been really fun to let my students kind of process um, and see both sides and be able to have civil discourse and debate about things that they're passionate about and um, kind of look through different perspectives as we see those kind of challenges and ideas. Well, I think your, this one for me was just fascinating. Uh, you may not have had a mushroom host on here, but your project had some beautiful photography from your ranch to tell that story. And 
Talk a little bit more about how you guided your students through this this conversation and, and debate or around an issue like this, because not only it could be the facts, but there's a lot of emotion to this. And there's a lot of, of just history, personal history that goes into this. So tell us about that, if you would. So when I started this unit, when I introduced the topic, I made sure and and told my kids, I have a little bit of a bias. And as much as I try not to bring that out in what I'm presenting to you, that's always going to be evident. And so we talked a little bit about what a bias is. And um, as they get into and are researching their own stuff, um, we do a, a debate at the end of this unit where the kids, um, I assign them sides and I tried to assign them to the side that they were not naturally in support of or in favor of. Um, so that they had to look at that, but we talked about everything from their resources and, um, the things they're looking up, especially on the internet, um, or books or articles or groups, like what, what bias is present in those. Um, and we talked about that. I actually worked a lot with my history department and we teach uh, us gov and the kids have to take a government class and they get into political parties and things like that. So I use some of their skills and some of the debate team's recommendations for how to get kids to engage. And then um, we set it up so that they would lose debate points if they were being negative or attacking um, and like calling people out, you know, because it's natural, especially about something that you're passionate about to kind of want to call people out and be like, no way, that's not how it is. But they had to be able to back everything up with fact. And it, it was a really, really fun discussion. We've done it once. I'll do it again in a couple of weeks. But it, it's a fun way to get kids involved with material. We're doing it um, in my ecology unit. Um, and ecology is such a big subject and touches so many things that we can get into the sides, the forestry side, the um, livestock and livestock management and plants and natural animals, hunting, mineral extraction. So there's a lot of angles that the kids can take, recreation um, and how that affects the economy, all that is involved. And taking the pictures and going out and um, we did a lot of stuff. I got a, a GoPro as part of the grant and we went off-roading and I rented Jeeps and I hauled my little kids around and we went <laughs> all over. We saw almost every national park in Utah um, and we've been now to a couple outside of Utah, but I've got, there's one more that's on the Delta side that we'll hit this year, but it's been good for my personal kids and me to see those different things as well as we work through it. So you talk a little bit about this and people right here know that I'm, I'm a Midwest farm guy that's been held hostage in the South for the last 23 years. Oh, they held hostage. I'm here, I'm here under my own regard. Um, but the one thing I love about your lesson was talking about and showing me about what it's like in agriculture in the Western part of the country. So what, what, what words of advice do you have for those of us that teach in the Midwest or the South or the Northeast? Why, why would I be concerned about teaching a lesson about federal lands out West? Um, I think a big thing is how much policy affects what we do. And you'll run into that in, if you're running a CAFO in the Midwest or in the South, um, how much the EPA can step in and make a decision and how that affects you. 
or um, USDA comes down with new safety standards, how that's going to affect you. Um, and I think we get that in the West more on the front side than on the back side. So we get that in how are we even going to be able to raise these animals to begin with or to use these water rights or um, access this land? Because um, there's a piece of my property that you cannot access on public roads. Um, the roads to access the property are all under federal management. And if they decide to shut down, I have no access to those. So I think that's a big thing. Um, and just understanding that your vote makes a big difference. There goes the, the kids are now tardy. So, <laughs> but your vote makes a big difference. Um, and that um, the policies that those people enact make a big difference. So we always think like, the president makes these big changes, but his cabinet and the U.S. Department of the Interior, that is a really, really big organization that we don't think about very much when we're making those kind of decisions. Um, and the cabinet secretaries and the influence they have is a huge deal, a huge deal. So something to think about, because if beef prices go up in Utah or if pork prices go up in Utah, we just lost um a gigantic um, pig farm in Milford, Utah, that they are producing 2 million hogs a year. And that's gone out. And that will affect your prices in the Midwest and how your animals are raised there as well. I, I think that's a that's a good point. And I, I've heard it from both of you about uh, how context matters and how big the, um, uh, the, the challenge is to think more broadly about um, these, these challenges that we have and they're so complex. And so Carly, how, how do you spend time working uh, with your students on understanding that complexity and, and understanding both sides of the issue? Uh, in my classes, it's I think a, a combination of um, reading and listening hands-on. So um, one place that that really comes alive for us is in the garden. We just ordered our seeds for the garden, I made a big point to order a bunch of purple stuff. One, it's more exciting. The kids are like more into that than what they might see in the grocery store just because it's novel. Um, we get to plant it and then we have this whole conversation about anthocyanins, which is a, a nutrient that's not on nutrition labels. It's not something that they've probably ever heard of. Um, but then all of a sudden, purple, purple cauliflower and there's excitement and then we go plant it. Um, then we'll go harvest it. And it becomes then about um, like the freshness of that thing that we're eating and how much nutrition is preserved from um, this very short path from um, cutting it off the stalk to consuming it in sometimes 10 minutes or just right pulling it out of the ground and brushing the soil off. Um, so in practice, that hands-on component is where um, one, there's a lot more interest and engagement and then um, right there. Um, and then sometimes we'll be, um, reading and cooking and we do a lot of um, diversity. I think when it comes to dietary stuff like biodiversity and dietary diversity are um, huge components of that. So some of that happens in, in cooking. So we'll do a lot of cooking activities. Um, and I'm hopeful that using the tool that I made that um, Prezi is there for options and that also teachers don't have to stick to exactly that thing, right? They can say like, oh, um, this is the thing that now I want to, you know, have with my class or whatever it is. Um, and so I, th I think that sometimes it's class discussion, but then in the garden and in just kind of whatever 
organically happens that day. Sometimes it's just, you know, you know, like magic happens in the unplanned moment. And so, um, yeah, when we have like the purple food in front of us, that's where we learn a lot. <laughs> So when it, when it comes to food, a uh, couple of experiences that I've had um, in, in working in this arena, we, it's a challenge sometimes to even have students try something new or try something that's purple or, you know, I don't, I don't eat green stuff or whatever it might be. So what, what, what are some of the recommendations, some of the challenges that you faced and how have you overcome those with, um, you know, when it comes to food and having, having students try new things? So I just um, have things in front of them to work with. And sometimes they're just planting a seed and it doesn't really even matter if it grows into edible, but that they did it and, they, and they're excited that they planted cilantro. Um, sometimes just like going to the garden and make it, uh, give extra credit for tasting stuff, make it hot, into hot peppers. So we're like meat pickling hot peppers. And then that's a whole contest in itself. Not that but they get into that aspect of it because it's extreme um and and then without a recipe is where they have the most fun if the um best times that i've had in getting kids to eat vegetables and enjoy them is when i just have a basket of carrots and a bunch of pantry ingredients and i said like have fun make something happen i don't care what it is just do it and then they're getting together and they're creative and just having way more fun there's way more autonomy um like not actually that good like they, they think they like it because they do and they're just like in the in the process it doesn't i mean it's nice when it, it turns out um you know like the network style but if it doesn't it's okay like they made it themselves and they're eating it um so i think those are those are the, the best experiences that my kids have well i've just noticed that we've had a special guest in our utah studio join us um so alicia for those that are playing the home game who we got with us here today who just came in this is Maisie. she's a bottle lamb that is hanging out in my classroom for the next week or so um she's one of my students projects but her mother her my student that's in charge of her just left her so she was being extra noisy so i went and grabbed her because if she can snug she'll chill out and not be so loud but she is quite loud otherwise well, so we really do have the goat on the show, other than Microtalic being the greatest of all time. We've got the real goat. So thank you for joining us on there. Um, Carly, Alicia, thank you so much for, for spending time with us during the school day as you heard the bells ringing in the background. Thank you for your project. I highly encourage everybody to go online and, and check out uh, teachgrandchallenges.com. There's a list of resources up there developed by ag teachers for ag teachers. And the whole idea was they developed these around these ideas of grand challenges that we're facing. So this is not just another 87 PowerPoint slides of beef breeds. These are videos that, that these folks shot out there with pictures and stories they are telling about how do we solve real problems we've got going on here in agriculture and natural resources. Thank you both very much for being with us today here on Owl Pellets and appreciate all your great work working on this grant project with us. So thanks a lot. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. 
for Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.